So open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we will read from verse 1 through verse 16. The Word of God. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And as he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus made it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore... God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, as we have worshipped you with our voice, our hands raised, our spirits, in adoration of who you are, what you have done, of our great Savior Christ, Lord, now we turn our attention to you addressing us through your word. And Lord, I would pray this morning that you would encourage your people. I pray that you would, from your word, give them courage, a sure hope about who you are, about what you are doing, and what you call us to do in the midst of seasons of trouble, in the midst of seasons of transition, in the midst of seasons of change. So now I just pray that you would encourage and give hope to your people, through the preaching of your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, 
It's helpful to have just a brief context about this passage so that we're not just kind of dropping into it. And if you think of the continuum of redemptive history, you have on one end Genesis, and you have on the other end Revelation. And in Genesis, you have uh, two chapters in which there is no sin. And in Revelation, in 21-22, you have two chapters in which there is no sin. And between that, you have 1,186 chapters and close to 31,000 verses. And so here's Adam, here's Eve in Genesis 2-6. And it's kind of like, man, can you guys keep it together for 26 verses? And (laughs) out of 31,000 verses, okay, in Genesis 3-7, it happens. The fruit is eaten and the fall begins. And now... God's desire is to restore what was originally in his presence without sin to in his presence once again without sin. And so you have the Old Testament being the preparation of the gospel. And then you have four books that is the proclamation of the gospel in the middle. And then you have the participation in the gospel, which is where we find ourselves. And these saints in Hebrews were participating in the gospel, and they were looking forward to this homeland, to this foundation whose designer and builder was God. And there was a clear and distinct theme and melodic line looking through Hebrews of the new covenant of the superiority of Christ as that high priest and the privilege of faith that people had to participate in that new covenant. And they were looking at it with hope and with the assurance. Now, the context, of course, is heaven because much of that language mirrors what is spoken of by John in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And in that language... It's spoken of just in summary form that the new heaven and the new earth is a place to truly be looking forward to. Where we have the most information about the new heaven and the new earth is in Revelation. It's going to be new. It's going to be real. It's going to be an incredibly large, beautiful city. It's going to be where God dwells. And it's going to be where Peter says where righteousness dwells. And where righteousness dwells, that means everything is perfectly aligned with who God is. It means there's going to be perfect relationships. Every effect of sin is going to be removed. There's going to be perfect community. It's going to be a place where all sad things are going to become, again, one day untrue. There's going to be sweet reunions that we can't even begin to imagine. It speaks of a place where our bodies are going to be imperishable and powerful and glorious. And it speaks of a place where we're going to dwell with the presence of God, where we will see God. And it's not just an impression on the back of our retinas that we're going to physically see him. But right now, we're told that we see in part, and we see dimly, and it's kind of like holding up a a mirror, trying to look around a corner, and this mirror is foggy and splintered and cracked, and we have bad eyesight, and we're trying to see what he is telling us about. And then it says, but then we will know fully. And what what, what anticipation that is going to be for us, because we are going to understand and know all of the storylines of our lives as a result 
of seeing God. Seeing is going to be knowing. It's going to be knowing with understanding from his infinite love, his infinite wisdom, his infinite goodness, why he allowed the things to happen that he's allowed that have been part of his sovereign plan based upon his sovereign knowledge, his perfect knowledge, and exercised by his perfect power. And so we have that to look forward to, but that which also informs the understanding of why do we go through these type of things? Well, we don't, we don't always get the answer to that. But the outcome of that, there should be something that affects us. And one of them is that there should be a sure hope. And the second is that there should be a radical obedience, a faith in the heaven to come that fuels a radical obedience. And we, like them, we're strangers, we're exiles, we are seeking a homeland, a better country as well, a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And Jesus, he comes to us this morning. In, in the moment of where we are at, perhaps with questions, perhaps with confliction, perhaps with wondering, where are we going? And in the time of strife, in the time of trial and struggle, I love to go back and be reminded of the Savior in the book of John in chapter 11 because that was a hard place. Lazarus, their brother, had died, one whom he had loved. And they knew he was a healer. And verbatim, Martha asked this question, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then a few few verses later, Mary asked the same question. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, our church would not be in this type of circumstance or experiencing these type of things. And here's the compassion of Jesus that he comes with. He comes and he answers both the same questions with different answers. He answers Mary with truth. He comes to her with truth and said, I am the resurrection and life. And whoever believes in me, yet he dies, will live forever. And then he went to the issue. Do you believe this? And he comes to Mary, the same question. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And he comes in tears. He can barely get it out of his mouth. Where have you laid him? And so he's here today, both with truth, both with tears, both with compassion, both with grace, and a certainty and a surety of hope that we find from his word in this particular passage that gives us courage and gives us um, a fuel for putting both oars in the water and to keep moving ahead. And so three very simple points this morning. What faith is, what faith focuses on, and what faith enables. So let's take a look at this. Verse 1, now faith, it's the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. Goes on to say that it's the conviction of things not seen. Now in this context, it's a forward-looking view to that new heaven and new earth. It mirrors what we, what we read in Colossians in chapter 3 where... He says, 
that seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. And so God has told us about these things. And God has clearly told us about himself. And they are real. And those things spoken of here are not here yet. But God is here in his very present and very real way. And so faith is this assurance of things hoped for. Faith is this conviction of the things we do not see. And faith is this confidence of the things that are above. And if you recall in John chapter 20 where Thomas says, Look, unless I put my finger in his side and, and, and finger into his hand, I will not believe. And he says, Oh, Thomas, put your fingers wherever you want and see that I am, I am who I have declared to be. And he said... Thomas, you have believed because you've seen. And he says, but blessed, you can put your name in the, in the margin there, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And so faith is just believing what God has said about these things, these things, who he is, these things, what to come. And so there's a hope for that which is not seen, that are above, and that is what gives us this assurance, this conviction, this confidence. And so how do you grow in that? How do you develop that for who he is, for where we are, where you are as a church, where you are personally? You got a handout that I asked Becca to make, and I'd, I'd call your attention to it for just a moment. Because in this, uh, there, there, you see there's four little boxes there, and I just will give you a, a quick explanation that the first one on the upper left, these are God's attributes that he doesn't share with us. He is sovereign, and he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. And then the other are attributes that help us understand what governs his sovereign ways, what governs his power, and what governs this knowledge, and it's that his goodness, his divine wisdom, and his love... And then on the upper right-hand boxes, everything he does is some manner redemptive. And in being redemptive, he also declares to us he is present in all things. And then lastly, everything he does is in some way for his glory, uh, of his will being accomplished, whether it be a hidden will or his revealed will. What I do and use this, I, I fold my paper in half, and then I fold it kind of in half again so I can just focus on these, and then I can just flip it over and focus on these, and then fold the paper the other way. But I want to, I want to read to you, flip back in Hebrews chapter 2, and I pray that the Lord, through his word, would give you courage and hope as you hear these few verses about his sovereignty. Down to chapter 2 in Hebrews, the end of verse 8, he says, putting everything in subjection under his feet. You might want to mark everything. This has not been missed or overlooked. Everything is subject to him. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Circle nothing. Church, nothing is outside of control. It feels like it. Nothing is outside of his control. Let that sink in. Let that affect your soul. 
Everything is subject to him. Nothing is outside his control. In Psalm 103, 19, it says, The Lord's throne is established in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Sometime, go to that passage, circle all. And then in Ephesians 1, he says that everything works according to the purpose and counsel of his will. And so I want to, I want to have God's word fill you with hope for the things that are uncertain, for the things that are seen, so that there is assurance for the things unseen and the things conviction about the things that he tells us to hope for, that he is all sovereign. And if you work down through these, you could make this a devotion for a month. There's 60 uh, passages in this that speak about these attributes about who God is. And from that, you will, you will experience a great comfort and you'll be following a command God gives you in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, grow in the knowledge of God. And God is not pleased with our reluctance or our hesitancy to believe. If you go back to Hebrews in chapter 11, he says that, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, he knows us, and he's patient with us, and he knows our frame, and he knows how weak we are. But he still calls us to believe these things, to believe who he has revealed and declared himself to be. And so... Cindy and I have been married for a few weeks. It'll be 39 years. And so way back in the day, in 1978, in October, just imagine if it was three weeks coming up upon our marriage. And she says, you know, I know you said you love me, and I know you said that you want to marry me, and I know you said that you want to be with me the rest of your life, but I'm just not sure you're going to show up. I said, honey honest <laughs> honest and and so she keeps saying this and she keeps saying i'm not sure you're going to show up i'm not sure you're going to show up and so it becomes very distressing on my soul because it's questioning my character it's questioning my integrity it's tr- questioning my truthfulness it's questioning my trustworthiness and so when we do that with god We do that with him when we don't believe. When we doubt him, we are saying, are you going to show up? He is going to show up. He has shown up. And when we read our Bible and we hear the preaching of his word, I want to tell you this, the Holy Spirit is working very hard right now. He wants to get your soul to a place of assurance. He wants to get your soul to a place of conviction of the things not seen. He wants to get your soul to a place of confidence about the things he speaks about without doubting, the things hoped for, the things not seen, the things above. That's what faith is. What does faith focus on? Well, everything in, in, in this particular passage, it always points to what lies ahead. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. And whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And over in verse 13, they're looking ahead. They died in faith. They were strangers and exiles, but they were seeking a homeland, looking ahead. They were desiring a better country. They were looking ahead 
Back in verse 10, they were looking to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so here's the thing. They, they did this. They died with the assurance of, and the conviction of things hoped for and not seen, but they did not receive the promise. They died without receiving the promise. And you know what? We may too. We may die without receiving that promise. And has God failed? No. No, he has not failed because the promises here have to do with something after death. They were strangers and exiles. They were looking for a homeland, looking for that city. And so are we. Metaphorically, looking for God. What do you have for us next? So the focus of faith is that forward, is forward to that future. And we see that these promises are primarily forward-looking promises as well. Now, he's given us very great, very comforting, very precious promises now that encourages us and strengthens us and sustains us. Like you know with the hurricanes that have recently passed, Maria, devastating to Puerto Rico, Irma and Harvey... Well, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, there was Hurricane Katrina. And those were devastating pictures of houses to the ceiling, to the roof, people on the roof filled with water. And there was a great relocation that took place for people who had lived all their lives in a particular house or a particular neighborhood. And they were relocated to Dallas and to Houston. And in those contexts, they were given uh, their basics, their food, clothing, shelter. They were offered jobs. Uh, the children were offered to go to, the, uh, to schools, new schools, and that they could start lives over again and start new lives. And you would think that they would be happy and they would be excited and they would be thrilled. And when you read about this transition of these folks there, turns out that they want. You know why? They weren't. Because it wasn't home. It wasn't their home. They were strangers in Dallas. They were strangers in Houston. And so God calls us to not lose sight of the home he has for us, but to remain in faith to the promises that he gives moving forward. Because focus of faith is to the things hoped for. When you think about what this church is hoping for in this next season of life, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the things not yet seen, what will this look like? Where will we go? And so faith is what God has said that gives us this certain and this sure hope. And to walk this way, we know in part, And we only see dimly. But he walks with us. And the last thing then, so what does faith enable? What's the effect now that God has said about a faith in who he is, a faith in what he said, and ultimately a faith in heaven that is our home? And it's simply this, that that type of faith fuels a radical type of obedience. The assurance what we hope for, the conviction of the things we don't see, that we set our minds on these things, it fuels obedience. What kind of obedience? We'll look at our passage again in verse 7. Noah. And any place you read here by faith, you could put in there 
by the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, Noah constructed an ark. By the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, Abraham obeyed. Abraham went. And the writer here is talking about something God had promised in the future while they were still living in their present life. And it's like he's saying, something you can't imagine, I have prepared for you. I want you to believe it, but I also want you to act on it. I want there to be an obedience that moves forward with where I am taking you. Why would they do this? What does the passage point to as to why they would be that radically obedient to build an ark in the midst of never hearing of rain before or for Abraham to obey and to go from a land that was his home? Well, look at verse 10. It says, for. You could put the word because. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Don't miss this connection that their obedience, their building arcs, their going is linked to the because. And the because is they were looking forward to something then that influenced something now. It fueled their obedience. Their hope, their sure hope in what God promised, what God said, who God was, fueled their obedience. He obeyed. He went. He built because they were looking forward to with an assurance of the things hoped for, with a conviction of the things not seen, and a mindset of the things that were above. He believed. He believed who God said he was. He believed what God had done. He has believed what God was doing. He was saying this. He's going to show up. None of this distressing, oh, I hope he shows up. I hope you show up, God. Well, you know what? He's already shown up. He has shown up. And will be present with you. God is an ever-present help in trouble. He is an ever-present help. And so we have to ask ourselves in closing now, how do we find application to something like this? What do we take from this? I don't want you leaving these doors today without something that God would have you to take. And like Martha, Jesus came to Martha and said, do you believe this? Do you believe what I say when I give you to say, when I give you this promise that there's an assurance of the things hoped for, a conviction of the things not seen. Do you have that assurance, church, and do you have that conviction? And I just want to ask you if this is a place of struggle for you, I want to remind you God is present. I would take this and I would spend this week on these passages under number, um, number eight and just meditate. Soak your soul in the reality of what he has said. These are things he has said that he is pleased with when you believe him. Pray over them. Meditate upon them. Memorize them. Talk about them with others. Second, I would have you be encouraged to grow in conviction of the absolutes of God's ways.
When you read about his sovereignty, he speaks in absolutes. He is enthroned in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. He's ruling over this. He's ruling over your situation. When he says that everything is subject to him, he means everything. There isn't a comma, an asterisk, a parenthesis around your thing or this thing. When he says nothing is out of control, he means I have it. I have it for you, church. And I want you to respond with the certainty, with the assurance of the things hoped for and the conviction of the things not seen. Grow in your conviction of God's word that when he speaks in absolutes, that you put your money in the bank on that. And then Jesus comes also to Mary, and he comes in tears. He comes to us in truth this morning about who he is and what he's promised. And yet he also comes to us in tears. Where have you laid him? So don't be surprised if some of these kind of transition has a component of grieving. Change. Change can do that. Change in family can do that. Change in relationship can do that. And he is a great high priest. And he's a compassionate and sympathetic high priest. And he's also the God of all comfort. He says that I comfort you in all. There's another absolute. All your afflictions. All of them. So even in his tears... He is present, and he knows what you are going through, and he knows what is travailing your soul. And I think it's it's okay to say you don't need to move on to that too quickly, but to embrace his presence, to embrace the reality of how you feel about what's going on, but put a comma there, not a period, and ask him to help you. Ask him to meet you. Ask him to help you grow your faith. Ask him to give you assurance of the things hoped for. Ask him to give you conviction of the things not seen. And then lastly, it would be this. I think it was brought up in Albert's comments. Focused obedience. As this church moves forward, where can you serve? Where can you Where can you be obedient? Uh, God... God knows what he's going to do here. And he calls you to faith and a certainty of hope. He calls you to be in assurance of the things hoped for. And he calls you to grow in a conviction of the things not yet seen. But in like manner that we see in the passage here, they constructed arcs and they left comfortable places because of what they were looking forward to. And so we can, you can move forward because of who God is what he promises, and what he can help you look forward to. And he will meet you. And he will meet you with faith. He will meet you with the assurance of things hoped for. He will meet you with the conviction of all the things not seen. And he will meet you with the confidence of the things that are above. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for your good, our good, and for your glory, we uh, now leave this passage and these thoughts 
for your Holy Spirit to take and to work in innumerable ways in all of our lives in different ways. But I also pray, Lord, that for collectively as the church, that there is a sure hope that you are at work. Nothing is out of control. Everything is subject to you. You are ruling over all and all of your will. That you work all things according to the purpose and counsel of your will are going to be are going to be fulfilled. Thank you for the richness of your word that gives us these promises. And so I pray, Lord, for this church. I pray, Lord, for as you lead these men in leading forward, Lord, that there would be renewed faith and renewed hope, renewed vision, renewed passion about advancing the gospel, one in our own lives, two in our families, to our children, and then to wherever you cross our spheres of relationships and influence with, or that we would communicate what a great God we have, what a great Savior we have, Lord, and what great glory our desire is to magnify his worth through sharing him. So be with your people. Thank you for your tenderness. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your compassion. Lord, I ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.